Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Book of Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to uh, challenge you this morning. I'm going to reach deep into, uh, into your heart and pull out and challenge and pull out God's best that's in you this morning and draw that out of you this morning. And, uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, this morning and um, um, where we're going to go. You know, this has been an interesting week. I had a, uh, I've been presented an opportunity. Um, I had a pastor friend of mine call me this week, and um, he's asked me to, uh, to teach a class. To, he is the state overseer for his denomination, um, not for Indiana, another state. And, uh, and he was telling me that what they're noticing, that pastors that are coming out of seminary uh, that are being licensed, he said they're so ill-equipped that when they get into pastoring, they're being eat up by the stress and by the, the, uh, uh, the pressures of the ministry, uh, and they're just not being equipped. So what they've done is, is they created what they call a, uh, a state um, uh, ministry school where they are taking pastors who couldn't afford maybe to go to seminary uh, but not have been able to be trained, and they're bringing them and taking them for 10 weeks, and they're bringing them into a, a secluded area, and they're training these pastors. And he called and asked if I would teach a class um, on evangelism and mission. Uh, uh, not missions, but mission. He said, I, I have followed you, your church he says, I love watching your services, but he says, I'm so amazed and so, uh, so amazed at your all's outreach and the way that you evangelize. And he said, the practical side of ministry that I see that you're doing, he said, I hope that you would be able to impart that into these young ministers so that there would be some practicality that's in their life. And so I felt really honored by that. He's a great man of God, and, um, and so I'm excited about that. Um, I've always believed that a call to ministry is first and foremost a call to preparation. And that, you know, God won't pull out of you what you, don't, what you won't put in you. And so uh, we're just believing God for that. But he also wanted to say, he said, another, the main reason I called is because I really felt, he said, I really felt in my heart, he said, I wanted to tell you, he said, I have a word for you. And he said, you can receive it if you want to. He said, I just feel like I have a word for you and your church. And he said, uh, I wanted to say this. He said, I want you to know this is what I sense. This is what the Lord told me to tell you. Um, that, that your church, your house is pregnant and ready to give birth to ministries and to ministers uh, beyond where you are right now. And he said, there's a pregnancy. And he says, your house is pregnant. And, uh, and so I received it. Amen. Praise God. And um, I believe God is bringing ex- expectancy into our lives. And so Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27, I want to read passages of scripture to you this morning. And uh, in verse 27, it says, this is in the NIV. I wanted to read, I wanted to, uh, to read it out of the NIV this morning because of the language that's used is appropriate for what I want to share this morning. And it says, As Jesus went, went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and, asked, and, asked, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. What a great passage of scripture this morning. And I want to teach or preach on the subject this morning. I need it back. I need it back. Turn to somebody and say, I need it back this morning. I need it back. I was, uh, I was reading an article by a pastor. He's a, um, a pastor that I've met only a couple of times. He's a 
speaker and evangelist. He pastors a great church in New Jersey. Uh, he's an incredible communicator. And uh, uh, I wrote an article that he does. He sends an email blast out. It's a devotional um, newsletter that he does each month. And, um, and in the article he was writing, he introduced the concept in the article that caught my attention. He called it the theology of achievement. And in the article, he talked about the, it, the rest on the concept that God not only wants us to be good stewards of our time and our treasure, but also good stewards of our talent. In other words, God, God's intention for us is to use our gifts and our talents and our acquired skill that has been graciously given to us. In other words, we know God wants us to be good stewards of our time. We know he, he wants us to be good stewards of, of our treasures. But rarely do we talk about God requiring us to be good stewards of our gifts or our talents or what he has called us to do. See, not to do so is to say to God, you could have taken some of what you gave to me and given it to someone else who would have done more with it. I believe the graveyard is not just filled with tombs this morning, but the graveyard is filled with unfulfilled potential that is in people's lives. Unfulfilled potential. The potential that God has given us is the capacity to become and the capacity to behave. The potential he's given us is for the purpose is for the purpose which he has assigned us or called each of us. Purpose is always an answer to a problem. Our purpose that God has for us is a purpose that he's given us that is an answer to a problem. So when potential is not reached in our life, purpose is unfulfilled. And we leave the earth with a problem God intended to solve. So when potential is not fulfilled, then a problem that God wanted to solve through the potential that was in our lives, if we don't reach the potential of our calling of what God has asked us to do, then there is an unsolved problem that's left in the earth which is left unsolved or left undone. And so it's left for another generation to have to fight Goliaths we were supposed to slay. You've heard me say this many times. I believe there are giants that we need to be slain as a congregation so that the next generation don't have to fight those giants. That there's giants that we should be overcoming as a congregation and as a body that the next generation doesn't have to fight. And so there is a potential that is in us. There is a calling that we have corporately, individually, and it's important that we find that potential. You know, one of the, one of the greatest, one of the, the things that I worry about the most is, God, am I fulfilling what you've called me to do? My greatest fear is that we would not be able to fulfill what God has asked us to do as a church body. That we would not be able to fulfill our calling and our purpose that God has for us. The great fear that I have, that I would not fulfill what God's called me to do. And that the potential that he's put on our lives would go untapped or unfulfilled in our lives so that we would live in a place of unfulfillment. There's a number of words people use to not reach their potential, ways of using scripture to sanitize someone's unwillingness to do what it takes to become all that God has desired them to be. But the truth is, the, when the rubber meets the road, there's one word that describes someone uh, living a life less than God's best for them. And it's the word settling. 
In other words, placing a period where God has put a comma in our lives. Settling. Settling for less than what God really has for our lives. To settle means that we dictate our own destiny. We don't go after God, but we dictate our own destiny. We say, it's good enough for me. I guess it must have to be good enough for God. But what's happening is, by doing that, we rob the world of God's best through us, but also we rob ourselves of internal fulfillment that God has for us. Now, I'm going somewhere this morning. This is just my introduction. But we have to think about that. When we think about God's call on our life and His purpose for us, our desire should be to fulfill everything God desires for us to become as a church, as individuals, because all of you, God has put His hand upon you And there is God's potential and calling that is in you that he wants to draw out of your life. That we would somehow become everything that the Lord desires us to be. Maslow says this, if you plan on being anything less than you're you're capable of being, you'll probably be unhappy all the days of your life. Jim Rome said this, every life form seems to strive to its maximum except for human beings. How tall will a tree grow? As tall as it possibly can. Human beings are, the, are on the other hand, have been given the distinctness of human choice. And we can choose to be all we could be, or we can choose to be less than what God wants us to be. And and I thought to myself, I've wrestled with this concept a little bit. I've wrestled with this fact. And so I've been going through Scripture and using characters in Scripture as a case study to learn from and esteem from those who reach their potential and those in Scripture who did not reach their potential. In other words, to separate the ordinary from the extraordinary. To separate the ordinary from the extraordinary. Like Moses, who died looking at what God had preferred for him and not experiencing it. Moses, who looked across the mountain and saw the promised land, but he was unable to go into it. He could see it, but he couldn't experience it. Like Paul, who finished, who finished everything God had asked him to do, and at the end of his life, he says, I finished my course. A life fulfilled. One that stood out more than all the rest. One that stuck out head and shoulders above the rest. In other words, Separate the ordinary from the extraordinary, the good from the great, the fulfilled from the unfulfilled. Those who reach redemption, redemption's potential, and those who did not. And there's one word that is used, I think used in Scripture, that describes those who reach their fulfillment, who reach that place of extraordinary, that place of greatness, that place of fulfillment. There's one word, family, that I think that is used, and it's the word courage. It's what separates those who reach their purpose in God and those who don't. It's a life of courage. In other words... What I'm arguing is the greatest exploits are not done by the most gifted of those, but by those who are the most courageous. So much so that when you look at someone like Joshua, 
who succeeded Moses. How many know Joshua had to step into some big shoes? And God's marching orders for Joshua was not, was not to be more gifted. He was already that. Not to be more anointed. He was already that. Was not to be more capable. He was already that. Was not to be more competent. He was already that. What was God's marching orders to Joshua? He said this to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. See, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how, how, how anointed you are or how capable or competent. If you don't have courage to do and become what God has called you to become, we all have to have the courage to step into God's yes in our life. Corporately, as a church, we have to be willing to step into God's yes. And say, yes, God, we'll have the courage to do maybe what others won't do. I'll have the courage to fulfill everything that you've put in my life as a believer to do and fulfill. God, put that courage inside of me. David wasn't the greatest warrior. He was not militarily trained for warfare. But one thing that separated him from the other Israelite warriors who wouldn't fight Goliath, is that David had courage. And when, they, and when they wouldn't fight with a sword and a spear, David ran toward Goliath with a rock and a slingshot. Why? Because courage was in David's life. While others are running from giants, courage will empower you to run toward the giants of your life. And what they can't do with a sword, you're able to do with a rock. It's not what's in your hand, it's whose hand you're holding this morning. Because if you're holding the hand of God, he'll give you the courage and he'll give you the faith in him to allow your giants to fall this morning. Let me just say this this morning and preach this a minute. The greatest expression of courage was seen this morning on the cross by Jesus. It was the most courageous act in human history. Did you hear me? The most courageous act in human history was Jesus going to the cross. At its core, at its core, simply, is not just the expression of love, but also the expression of faith. Courage and faith ride in the same car. Courage and faith go hand in hand together. Jesus on the cross wasn't just the greatest expression of love, which it was, but it was also a great expression of faith. You say, well, what do you mean it was a great expression of faith? The cross of Jesus was just not the expression of his love for us, but also an expression of his faith in his Father. Jesus was expressing faith in his Father. In other words, Jesus was convinced his Father would raise him up. The great act of faith, Jesus frequently talked about his death and passionately predicted his resurrection, fully convinced his Father was telling the truth. In other words, Jesus went to the cross not only as a great expression of courage and love for us, but it was also, it was also expression of faith. Believing that his father would raise him from the dead as he had predicted. In other words, he was convinced his father was telling the truth. See, there's no way we can live a life of courage if we are not convinced that God is telling the truth this morning. A life of courage that flows out of our lives is when believers believe 
that when we read God's word, that he's telling the truth this morning. And I'm here to tell you that God's telling the truth this morning. His word tells the truth this morning. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. That's what faith is. It's stepping out and acting as if God is telling the truth. Man, if believers would get a hold of that this morning, that if we live our lives believing that what God says in this book is true this morning and believe it as though God is telling the truth, our faith level would change. There would be a level of courage and faith we would live by that would take us to a whole new level of walking with God. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. God is telling the truth when the Bible says he opens doors that no man can open and closes doors that no man can close. God's telling the truth when he says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He's telling the truth when he says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called by God. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth this morning when he says that he'll give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness this morning. He's telling the truth this morning when he says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy this morning. He's telling the truth this morning when he says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are saved. He's telling the truth this morning when he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Huh? He's telling the truth this morning. He's telling the truth. So therefore, the cross of Jesus teaches us the importance of not just having faith in Jesus, but having faith like Jesus. It's one thing to have faith in Jesus, which is the primary thing, but it's another to have faith like Jesus. In other words, we're encouraged in Scripture to emulate Jesus, follow his example in all areas. Is that not right? To be Christ-like. What's that mean? It means to love like Jesus loved. It means to be caring and compassionate like Jesus. It's to be kind like Jesus, to be meek like Jesus. All of these things are qualities that we should emulate of Jesus' life. To be like Jesus. But rarely do we hear believers say to believe God like Jesus believed God. To believe God like Jesus believed. Jesus embodies this for us throughout Scripture. You can't read the New Testament and objectively not come away with the fact that faith is preeminent and is essential to all believers. It's all through the New Testament. You can't experience salvation without faith, right? We're saved by faith through grace. Is that not true? Saved by faith through grace. What is grace? Grace is God's deposit of salvation into the bank account of this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would so ever believeth in him would not die, but would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. God made a deposit into this world. And faith is the withdrawal slip that draws that out. See, prayer doesn't even work effectively without faith. If we ask anything to God in doubting, even prayer has to have faith. Hebrews says that without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. Martin Luther said, not to believe him is to insult him. Not to believe God is to insult God. In other words, to believe God by faith is to believe that God will do exactly, that he will do exactly what he said he would do. And faith is for us to believe 
that God will do exactly what he said he would do. Jesus is the model for us. And all through scripture, he's moved by he's moved by faith. And there's no greater example of this than right here in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is moved by the faith of these two blind men. Now, this thing starts out interesting because it says as Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him. Two blind men are following Jesus. I'm confused already. (laughs) I mean, think about that for a moment. Two blind men are following Jesus. Verse 27 says, when he's outside, they're following him. And verse 28 tells us, and when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. They, they came, indoors they came to him. They followed him. It's okay if, if in this part of the sermon you're confused also. <laughs> Think about that. It said, two blind men followed him. Two blind men had had followed him. The question needs to be asked and answered. If I'm blind, how am I following Jesus? Right? I mean, that was my question. If I'm blind, how, how am I following Jesus? The fact that they're able to follow him, I believe, is an incredible example of courage. How fueled faith helps us overcome learned helplessness. Think about that for a moment. The fueling of their faith overcame their limitation. The fueling of their faith helped them overcome the, the, the learned, sometimes the learned helplessness that comes to us. It, you know, the psychology of a victim. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the psychology of a victim? Aren't everybody, isn't everybody a victim today? In other words, a person that looks at their blindness and their limitation and uses that as an excuse not to reach their potential. These guys overcame their blindness. These men must have said to themselves, well, my eyes don't work, but my legs do. Right? But my legs do. My ears still work. My arms still work. See, faith is something that refuses to be limited by what you don't have. And faith and courage gives you the ability to be creative in its use of what you do have. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Sometimes we have to overcome the limitations that we may have naturally. God in our faith will give us the ability to be creative in our faith, to do what we can do with what we do have. In other words, I'm assured that God will make sure you have whatever you need when you need it. But sometimes he just wants you to use the rod that is in your hand to part the Red Sea. Maybe God wants you just to use what you do have and follow him. Now the Bible says these blind men follow Jesus. And I believe it's a, it's a picture, it's a metaphoric picture of, for us. In other words, they followed him and did not see him properly. They were able to follow him even though they could not see him properly. As they followed him, they cried out and said, have mercy on us, son of David. In other words, what they were doing, they recognized his messiahship. They used the term, have mercy on us, son of David. What they were expressing is that they recognized that Jesus was the messiah. They were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter when he took her by the hand and he told her to arise, my little lamb. 
And they saw that. And, and as Jesus left Jairus' house, they began to cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. As Jesus went from there and went down to Peter's house, they continued, the, the scripture implies that they continued to call out. They continued to cry out. Now, I wasn't there, but I'm sure that must have been annoying to the rest of the crowd that was following Jesus. Must have been annoying to the rest of those as they were crying out, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Son of David, have mercy upon us. They continued to say it and continued to say it. I've often wondered why didn't Jesus just heal them on the way or why they were there. I believe Jesus wanted wanted them to continue to cry out. He recognized, they recognized who Jesus was. They didn't have natural sight, but they had spiritual sight. They, they were blind naturally, but they were more, they saw more than what the crowd could see naturally. They saw more spiritually. They couldn't see the way others saw him, they saw him in a way others couldn't see him. In other words, they're saying, we know who you are. We wouldn't be this relentless in our faith for just someone who was just ordinary. How many know Jesus wasn't ordinary? He was extraordinary. No one chases ordinary. No one climbs trees to get a better view of ordinary. Nobody leaves their fishing businesses to follow him for just ordinary. Nobody leaves their mother and father to, for ordinary. Nobody comes out to church on Sunday night fires for just ordinary. Nobody volunteers and works joy nights for just ordinary. The God we serve is not just ordinary this morning. He's extraordinary this morning. In other words, what they were saying, you're more than a rabbi this morning. In other words, he could teach us, but our specific dilemma couldn't be remedied by teaching. Information won't help out blindness. We don't need information. We need transformation this morning. He's not, he wasn't just a rabbi to them. Ordinary just doesn't, can't take care. They needed transformation. They didn't need just the teaching, but they needed a touch from God. And this morning, we can't just be ordinary as the body of Christ. We just can't just teach. We can't just present Jesus in just an ordinary way. Why? Because people just don't need information about God. They just don't need the religion or activities about God. They need a touch from God. They don't need information of God. They need transformation this morning. We need transformation. We owe the world transformation this morning. In other words, what they're saying is, we see you right this morning. They're saying, Jesus, we see, we know who you are. We're seeing you right with our spiritual eyes, even though our natural eyes are not open. And we have to understand this morning that we got to see Jesus rightly this morning. We have to see him who he is. He is an extraordinary God who can do extraordinary things in our midst. And we owe the world, we owe the city, we owe everybody around us an encounter and touch of God this morning. Not just the religious service. Not just religious activity, not just, not just activities of fellowship and activities of just coming together. We owe the world an encounter with the living God this morning. 
that just doesn't tickle them, but transform them this morning. He's extraordinary in our lives. He's extraordinary in my life. He's just not ordinary. He's not like my neighbors, who I have good neighbors. (laughs) But he's more to me than that. And I don't always see him correctly. Naturally. See, there's a principle here. And it tells us this. Why is it that the blind men were able to see Jesus correctly, but most of the crowd could not see him correctly, and they could see with their natural eyes? It's this principle. Don't forget it this morning. You may even want to write it down. The God you see is the God you get. (laughs) Y'all help me this morning. I'm telling you, the God you see is the God you get. In other words, perception affects reception. Our perception affects our reception of God. You say, well, prove that to me in Scripture, I will. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus goes to Nazareth, and the Bible says as he's teaching in the synagogue, there are those that say, is this not the carpenter's son? And what did the Bible say? The Bible said he could not do many mighty miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief, and one translation says because of their lack of faith. (laughs) Jesus perceived their unbelief, and he said a prophet is not welcome in his own country. But the Bible said because of their lack of faith, Jesus could not do. Listen, he didn't, he didn't say, it didn't say he didn't do any miracles. It just said that he did not do many mighty miracles. He did some miracles. What's that tell us? It tells us that a few people got what was available for many. In other words, what was available for all, only a few people got. And that's what happens. When we live in a place of the lack of faith and courage and ministry are in our lives, our lack of potential, some people will get touched but not everybody that Jesus wants to touch will get touched if we live in a place of unbelief. The God we see is the God we get this morning. The God we see is the God whom we get. See, some saw a carpenter. Others saw the Christ. See, you see a carpenter, you get your house fixed. You see a Christ, you get your life fixed. The God you see is the God you get. See, some people see God and they see him as just as someone who just saves them. That's their one-way ticket to heaven. And that's fine. That's the primary. That's what he came for, to bring salvation to us all, right? But some, but some see him as just a ticket to heaven. Others see him as a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think this morning. Yes, he is our way to heaven. He is our way to salvation. But he's much more than that this morning. We got to see him much more than that this morning. He's much more than just Someone who gave us a ticket to heaven. He not only saved us, but he healed us. He helped us. He restored us. He strengthens us. He blesses us. He replenishes us. He's a big God this morning. He's a big God. He's a great God. And he's a powerful God this morning. Now, in verse 28, they ask the question to Jesus, have mercy upon us. 
But then Jesus turns and he asks them a question. He says, do you believe I am able to do this? Now that's a loaded question, what Jesus is asking. Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Huh. See, sometimes I think asking the right question is just important. As I thought about this, I thought to myself, I thought of Abraham. You know, Abraham had to believe God by faith. Remember, God came to him and he said, Sarah, your wife is going to have a child. And the Bible says when Sarah heard it, she laughed. Did she not? She laughed. And and some would, would ask the question, isn't a woman of this age, you know, is she able to have children? Right? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Is a woman this age, is she, you know, able to have children at this, at this age? You know? But that wasn't the question. That's not the question that should have been asked. God came to Abraham and answered Abraham when he asked, and he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, is there anything too hard for me to do? The question is not, can a woman have a child at 90 years old? The question should be, is there anything that is too hard for God to do this morning? The question is not, does, can God heal cancer? The question should be, is there anything too hard for God this morning? The question shouldn't be, can God restore, repair, and heal The question should be, is there anything this morning that is too hard for God to do this morning? Obviously, obviously, naturally, women at 90, how many women you know had babies at 90? Not many. I don't know any. And if you do know any, I want to meet them. But we should be asking ourselves as a congregation this morning and asking ourselves, not can God save a city, not can God free drug addicts, put marriages back together, homes back together, not can God do this. We should be asking, is there anything, I said anything, that God cannot do this morning? And if we believe that, We can be blind and at times not see Jesus correctly, but know that he's able to do exceedingly and above and beyond whatever we could ask him or think he could do this morning. We've got to believe that. We've got to move into that realm. We've got to step into that realm where we begin to believe that God can do anything. We sit back and we become casual We accept certain things when we don't have to accept them. But we, by faith, can walk out and be courageous in how we approach God and how he works in our lives. God is faithful this morning. There's nothing that's too hard for God to do. He can restore that which has been stolen. He can replenish that which is empty. He can bring life to dead things. He can resurrect even dead things. And when Jesus asked that question, I love what their response was. Remember, they they kept crying out, have mercy upon us, O son of David. But look at this. When Jesus Ask them the question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Look what their reply was. They said, yes, Lord. They said, yes, Lord. Now here's, here's what you don't see inside that scripture. This is, a, this is a theological position that I don't even know what the name of it is, but here's what's happened. 
Inside this passage, when, they, when Jesus turned and said, do you believe that this is something that I can do? What happened to them? They came to the realization of the fullness of who Jesus was. They knew he was the Messiah that was to come. But now, they weren't just seeing him as a Messiah to come. They were seeing him as the fullness of the embodiment of all who God was. And when he said, when he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? This is what the revelation gave them. They, they knew him one way in verse 27, but now they know him a different way in verse 28. I thought to myself, my God, that's how God works in our life. I get saved by knowing him one way. But as I walk with him, as he, as he brings breakthrough in my life, as he works in my life, I got saved knowing him one way. But now I know him in the fullness of everything that he is this morning. What did they see? It was an easy answer for them. You know why? Because they saw him in the fullness of who he was as God. He wasn't just Jesus, but he was the one that parted the Red Sea. He was the one that brought them out of Egypt. He was the one, they saw him as the one that, that, uh, uh, that was with Esther and Daniel and with Jeremiah and crossed, they crossed the Jordan. He was with them. He was the fourth man in the fire when the three Hebrew children was thrown in. And I'm here to tell you that we've got to see him differently this morning. God, open our eyes. There are times we're blind and we may not see him always correctly. But God, let my courage and my faith see him properly this morning. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And anytime somebody asks you the question, can God do it? Your question should be, yes, yes, he can. Yes, he can. I thought about Ron Greaves this morning. And as many people as we prayed for at the hospital together, his favorite response in prayer, and I don't know if you've ever heard him do this, but when we go to the hospital and we would pray for someone and I would pray, he'd be in the background going, yes, Jesus, do it, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, do it, Jesus. In other words, he was coming in agreement that God was able to do everything he said he could do. I'm telling you, that's the kind of pregnant faith we need to have this morning. That's the kind of faith we need to walk in this morning. Believing God can do anything. You say, well, that's naive, preacher, to believe that God can do that. It might be. It might be. And he may not heal everybody. But I guarantee you that we're going to believe that he can, even if he doesn't. <laughs> Hallelujah. Help us, Lord, this morning. Huh. See, I know your problem this morning is big to you. But it's not big for the God who created all things and can do all things. Measure your need this morning compared to what God has done for others. God can do it this morning. He's able to do it this morning. We can believe that God is able to do it this morning. Huh. I love what Jesus said in verse 29. This is where I want to get to this morning. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done unto you. Now, as I thought about this, this is a scary thought this morning. He said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. In other words, the opposite of that would be, is true also. Not, if it not for your faith demonstrated in your pursuit, those men would have gone to heaven by their belief, but they would have settled for their blindness. 
What separated them? Their courage to pursue Jesus. Their courage to pursue him and to, and to go after him. Their willingness to demonstrate their pursuit because they weren't going to settle for their blindness. If they didn't have the faith to pursue Jesus and would have just settled for him as the Messiah, they would have got to heaven, but they would have had to settle for their blindness when sight was a possibility. Let me tell you, that's a huge tragedy in the body of Christ. For us to settle for the fact that we don't take the courage to pursue him so that we might find everything God has for us instead of settling for something less than what God has for all of us. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? See, because faith demonstrated in your resilience to the pursuit of him. Jesus, he laid, he, in other words, Jesus healed them. He said, by your, by your faith, in other words, by your resilience to pursue your healing, I'm healing you. Their courage said a lot. It moved Jesus. It moved, faith moves Jesus. Can I tell you faith moved Jesus? If we'll live in faith, it'll move Jesus in this church. If we'll move by faith, if we'll move by faith to believe for God to do what he speaks to us to do, Jesus, he'll do it. Because he'll be moved by our pursuit of faith. I don't know if y'all are getting it like I'm getting it this morning. In other words, blindness. Because here's what happens. Here's what people do. People end up saying, well, blindness, is, blindness was God's will for me. And we just settle for it. And so they settled for not being able to see at God's full potential. They settled for it. And that's what we do sometimes. We settle for certain things as normal in the body of Christ. When if we would just pursue him with our blindness and say, God, we're coming after you. We're going to pursue you. I believe he'll turn to us and say, by your faith. By your faith. Let it be done to you. He'll answer. By your faith. Now, as I thought about this this morning, I thought about these men. I thought, well, these men, these, these are good men. They're probably moral men. We know that they're probably, they may be Jewish. But they were good men. They lived blind, but they didn't have to. But they made the decision to passionately pursue God the rest of their life. Do you realize that if these men had not pursued Jesus, they would not have been healed? Which means they would not have been in the Bible. Their pursuit to pursue God, their decision to pursue God, they had not been healed. They would not have been in the Bible. And I thought about this in my, and, and I've, I've always had a tough time expressing or communicating. Have you ever had been spiritually, have you ever been in a place of where you feel spiritually frustrated, but you don't know why you're spiritually frustrated? You ever get a place where you feel uh, uh, this place of being discontented with where you are spiritually? God, I should be deeper. God, I should be further along. God, I, I feel discontented. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I feel that way. And I, could it be that this is God's holy contentment? 
That he gives us those things to let us know that this is not where we should remain. That there's greater for us. That there's greater for you. That there's greater for me. (coughs) That this contentment that you have is a way to say that you no longer belong here. In other words, those men's determination to be healed moved them out of where they were which moved them out of the place of discontentment. See, their healing was not, that happened 2,000 years ago, but we're reading it today. What it was is their pursuit of God wasn't just for them, but it was for others. And we have to understand that our, our, our courage to go after God and to believe everything, that he can do everything he says he can do, it's not just for us, but it's for others who come after us, others who read about what God has done or the testimony of what God has done. Your healing and your deliverance and your breakthrough is not just for you, but it's for others that tap into the faith which you moved in so that they too might be healed. Is that making any sense to you this morning? Now I want you to see something. Pastor Adam, if you come, I want you to see something. And I use the NIV this morning because it it communicates the word better. And in verse 30 it says, and their sight was restored. And their sight was restored. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Look what it says. And their sight was restored. Their sight was restored. Now, I went through scripture and looked at other places where Jesus healed others. And I want to show you a couple of them because in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34, Jesus said this. Put it up there. I want you all to see it. Mark chapter 5, verse 34. When he was dealing with the woman with the issue of blood, he said to her, daughter, your faith has has healed you, right? Look what it says. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 52. Blind Bartimaeus. It says this, go, said Jesus, your faith has what? Your faith has healed you. Now, the scripture says here, it says, and Jesus restored their sight. They weren't healed, they were restored. It implies that it was something that they had, but they lost. It implies that it was something that they once had, but they lost. How many know the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? John 10.10 says that. How many know the devil doesn't have to kill all the time? Sometimes if he steals something from our lives, it enables our lives. The devil steals something from our lives and we get through it and we survive it. And we stand up and say, I've survived through whatever trial you went through or whatever difficulty that you walked through and you said, I've survived it. But most of the time you may have survived it, but usually there's something that's lost. Sometimes we lose optimism. Sometimes we lose faith in people. When we go through a betrayal, we lose faith in people. Sometimes when we go through heartbreak, we lose hope in God. Sometimes we lose through disappointment. Sometimes we lose...
when people we want God to heal don't get healed. In other words, sometimes we survive it, but we still lose something. And some of us have walked through things and we've lost things. But I'm here to tell you what the scripture tells us is that Jesus restored their sight. He gave it back. And what we need to tell the devil this morning is we, I need it back. I need my peace of mind back. I need my faith in people back. I need my hope in God back. I need God to restore my disappointment this morning. Stand with me if you would this morning. I have a question. Now if you have to leave this morning, I understand you can do so quietly. But as we're ministering here at the altar, please don't talk in a sanctuary. If you have to leave, I understand we're not finished yet. But if you have to go, you can. Understand that. But we're still going to minister this morning. I have a question for you. The question is this. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Some of you need some of you need to get your courage back and your faith not just to believe him and him as a savior but to believe that he's able to do anything this morning I think this is a call corporately to our church I mean let's just be honest this morning I mean there are other spirit filled churches in this, in this area which is great we don't have enough of them we need more of them But do we really believe God can do anything this morning? Do we really believe that He's able to do anything this morning? Family, I'm going to challenge you. Let's go to that place. Let's pursue God. We may not always be seeing God correctly, but let's pursue Him. Let's let our faith and determination continue to pursue Him until He meets us in a supernatural way. Maybe you're here this morning and you need something restored. You need restoration this morning. The devil's stolen from you. God's going to take your faith and move it into courage this morning. Move it into a place of courage. My pastor friend said that he's, he's in an area where all of these laws are being passed in his state. And he has gone to a school system because of the their state is allowing transgender boys to compete with girls in athletics in their state. Beginning this school year, they can use the same locker rooms and bathrooms. They're introducing this race theory in Project 19. Or 16-19. He said he's gone to the school board and he's, he said he went and he said he stood up and he caused a huge ruckus in the school board meeting. He said now he's the target of the whole county. They've had death threats to burn their church. They've had vandalism personally. But he said, Shane, you know what? He said, there was just something that rose up in me 
there was just this courage and faith that rose up in me. He said, I was scared to death. He said, but the Spirit of God came on me. And he said, I just needed to do what others were unwilling to do. And I believe that God is going to take my act of faith and answer it. And I'm believing God for him. I'm believing God for him. We have to be courageous. We don't have to be more gifted. We don't have to be more anointed or more, have more capacity or more comp. You know, we have that. God has blessed us. We just need courage. Stand strong and be courageous in the Lord. Move forward in what God says. Let's go after the broken. Let's go after the downtrodden. Let's go after the hurting. Let's just go do it. Whatever it takes, let's just go do it. Whatever it takes. Let's unleash the hounds of heaven. Let's release people in ministry to do it. I'm telling you in my heart as a church, I want to go after every child in this county, every teenager, every kid that lives in this county. Why? Because they're the next generation. I want us to go after them. I want us to do whatever it takes to reach them and get them and find them. Every elementary school kid, I want to go after, I want to pursue. I want us to believe that God can do it. There's nothing that God can't do. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.